You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to episode 30 of the Best Interest Podcast. I am Jesse Kramer. Now, today's episode is, it's trash. Well, what I mean is we discuss the stock for waste management, you know, the garbage company, and a few other stocks. And of course, one man's waste management is another man's treasure, and this episode is pure gold. So if you're a stock picker, or if you're curious about dividend investing, or maybe you just want to hear about a young gun who first started investing as a teenager, this episode is for you. But real quick, before I introduce our guest, could you please pause the show and then in your podcast app, give a rating and review to the Best Interest Podcast? Why? Because the Best Interest, it's a growing small business, and I want to keep making this content for people just like you. A rating and a review, it lets all those fancy algorithms know that you care about this podcast. And I know I'm asking for your time, I'm asking for your effort, and I know that you don't owe me anything. So I really appreciate those of you who decide to sacrifice that time and effort to leave that rating and review. Thank you, guys. So with that, let's go meet our guest. My guest today is a young investor who is spreading knowledge about stocks through his social media channels, and I am particularly excited because he specializes in information about dividend stocks, a hot topic that I am particularly interested in. And don't worry, everybody, we'll talk about what they are, how they work, and the pros and cons of a dividend-heavy portfolio. So here he is, the Dividend Hero. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, my man. How are you doing? Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Doing pretty well. It's great to meet you. Great to talk to you. And I figured... We could start because compared to most people out here, you're on the young side. I know compared to many of my listeners, you're on the young side. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about how you started investing and how you started sharing your ideas with others at such a young age. Yeah, man, that's a great question. So um, I first got into investing 
I took a personal finance class in high school um, and we did a stock market game through market watch. I think it was, or, or one of those, one of those websites where you get a, a fake a hundred thousand and it was like a group project. And, um, you know, we, we picked some stocks and, um, I just remember talking to my dad about it and, um, you know, he, he kind of helped me through a lot of it and, and, and taught me a few things along the way. And, um, I think that was my junior year of high school. Um, and then around about senior year when I graduated from high school, um, I got money from my high school graduation and decided to invest it and said, Hey, let let me, you know, how do I invest some of this or how do I invest all of it? And yeah, that's what I did. And I invested it and I forgot about it for a couple of years. Not going to lie. It just let it do its thing. Um, which I always tell people is probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I wish I could forget about my investment portfolio nowadays, but I am checking it way too frequently. Um, so I wish I could go back to that innocent state of just letting my investments work. Um, but I, you know, I invested it in a, in a, div, a the Vanguard high dividend yield um, ETF and then an S&P 500 ETF um, along with my dad's guidance. So um and so yeah that's kind of that's kind of how i got started with investing and it uh it i just did it and then i forgot about it and then i think stock market and just as i got older and i was a business major at clemson um stock market just just came up here and there and i was like oh I, you know I, I think i invested some money how do i how do i check it like and i started looking into it and reading more and reading more and then uh, once you start it's hard to stop so um now I'm 23. Um, I started my Dividend Hero Twitter account over a year, a little over a year ago, back in May of 2020. So as we all know, May of 2020, that was the uh, well, that was a time that was the wild wild west. That mm-hmm. was un uh, you know unforeseen territory, but we made it through. And uh, I don't remember what the actual basis behind starting my account itself was I think I followed a lot of guys from my personal account and just eventually decided just to make the switch and, and make my own account and I just had to come up with a catchy name and dividend hero just just you know like you know I like dividends I like dividend investing and the name just sounded good I was like this is a name I can roll with so I went with it and it's you know it's been a little over a year and it's been a great journey so far and uh, I've met a lot of great people along the way and it's been a super worthwhile experience growing my account and, and meeting people and, and doing great podcasts like this and um, just, just learning myself. I don't proclaim to be any kind of expert on any subject. I'm here to learn and then pass any knowledge I've learned on to others um, and just be part of the conversation and just be an inspiration to anybody I can. Well, the motto of the best interest is invest in knowledge. And that's exactly what you're doing. I'm here to learn too. I have a question for you though. What do you remember what that first investment was with that high school graduation money or or what stocks or or was it the Vanguard? You said the Vanguard high yield. Was it was it just the Vanguard high yield ETF? And what what drew yeah, you to that? It was just V Y M and then V O O. Okay. The two tickers. Obviously not investment advice, but 
Um, just what I invested into and with my, you know, I was, did it with my dad. He helped me set up an account and he was like, this is just, 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 just get your money into it and hold on to it forever. Like ETFs are a great way to invest long-term. Um, I'm not sure how many people know about ETFs or, or what your comfort level of them are, but it's essentially a basket of stocks. Um, and so you're getting some really good diversification and you're not putting any kind of single risk in one, one stock or one company, you're getting a whole basket of them. And so just for the long term, I mean, they're just, they're just built to last and they're, and there's just nothing you, nothing you've really got to worry about per se. I mean, the markets will go up and up and down, but you're not worried about it. An ETF isn't going to go bankrupt or an ETF isn't just going to, just going to collapse. I mean, especially when you're with like Vanguard or a, a big institution. I mean, right. Right. So just a safe investment, really. Right. So an ETF for, for listeners who don't know, I, I kind of describe them as a maybe a fraternal twin of the standard index mutual fund. There are index ETFs and index mutual funds that are more or less identical, except for the, the way they are traded throughout the day, right? Where an ETF cannot be traded intraday and standard index mutual funds, they're only traded at the end of the day, right? Right, exactly. And, and mutual funds can be a little bit more actively managed by um, different groups, whether it be Vanguard or Fidelity or Morningstar, just, just different, um, different brokers, mutual fund brokers yeah. or, ma or managers. Mm -hmm. And ETFs are more uh, passively managed. And it's just the best stocks usually just rise to the top, whether it's market, market cap weighted or a price weighted index. Mm -hmm. And so it, it trades that way. And so you're, you're trading off the expense ratio. You're paying a little bit of a higher fee to own the mutual fund, but with it being actively managed, the hope is that you can get a little bit of outperformance, whereas an ETF is a lower expense ratio, but you're getting like a little bit more of an average performance. Right, right. So you started investing, you were saying maybe around 2016, 2017, if my math is correct, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a little 20, early. 2016. 2016. So it's been a pretty good five-year period from 2016 until now. It's been a good time to be in the stock market. So I'm right. curious, do you have any thoughts or have you been preparing for the eventuality that things are going to go down at some point and, and, and things might not look as good as they do now? And whether it's providing content to your, to your readers about how to react in that kind of scenario, or whether it's you looking at your own portfolio, like you say you do, what, what are you gonna do if and when things kind of go south? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously in the time I've been investing, I've seen some volatility um, between when President Trump was in office and it was talk of tariffs, um, there's a lot of volatility around that. And then obviously with coronavirus, um big sell off then um i will admit that i was not as prepared i mean i was not as prepared as i should have been during the coronavirus sell off not saying i could have known it was coming but i at least could have um held on to my cash and waited for the sell off a little bit longer or just whatever i mean obviously it all worked out in the end um but i think that the the honest answer is probably no. Young people my age haven't haven't seen a sideways market or a down market or um, 
I mean, we've seen, I've seen a big sell off. That's pretty, that was pretty scary. Not going to lie. Um, but a sideways market for two or three years. I mean, young people, um, I don't know if uh, young people my age are, are ready for anything like that. So in terms of content, I mean, definitely just preaching the same message of long-term investing and just zooming out and looking at the, the full picture and realize that you're investing in companies and pay attention to the companies and that the stock prices and the economy aren't always going to line up with the company's performance and that a lot of short-term headwinds and or even things that get stretched out a little longer think in 30 years where things are going to be, um, which is hard to think about, which is another great reason to invest in an ETF because you don't know what a company's going to be at 30 years, but tracking a whole index betting against it hasn't worked so far and not saying it won't ever work but in the long run over 30 years i'm 23 that would be when i'm 53 um you know i'm pretty comfortable putting my money put put my money away for the long term right i think that's all you can do is show people historical performance show people how long-term mindsets have benefited in the past and show people how overreaction to short-term downturns have damaged portfolios in the past and say, hey, I can't guarantee that the future is going to be like the past, but I'm willing to bet on it. And in that case, I'm going to stay the course and, and hold things for the long term. I think that's all you can do. That's a great answer. I wanted to go back to the high school investing story just one more time, just one more time. Because, uh, well, first, I wanted to start with your dad. I'm just curious. You, you went to your dad for investing advice. It's something I did right around that same age. So I'm just wondering, what does your dad do for a living? And just where did he get his, his investing knowledge from? Um, so he, he also graduated from Clemson. And then he moved to Charlotte and was a stockbroker um, through, I think, Bank of America. And then... I don't know where else he worked, uh, but he was a stockbroker in the early, the late nineties and the early two thousands. And then he, him and a business partner bought a tractor dealership and now he's the sole owner, but now he owns a tractor dealership and sells tractors and lawnmowers and chainsaws and covered trailers and um, everything people need when you stay at home during lockdown and need to take care of your house. So it's uh it's been a great it's been a great business for him but uh he's taught me a ton about investing and and he 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 started investing at a at a pretty young age as well and um learned a lot of that through his personal career which is awesome um certainly something that a lot of people don't get going in the professional workforce nobody unless you're in investing nobody at your job knows about investing so pretty awesome that he was able to go into a field, you know, where he was able to learn about investing and um, even just starting with small amounts, watching that compound over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, long story short, he, he started off being a stockbroker, but now he, he, he he sells tractors and lawnmowers. Based on that, based on that timeline, you just said, it sounds like maybe he got to see firsthand the dot-com bubble burst. Potentially, he even got to see the 2008 great financial crisis and how that affected the market, which is amazing experience to, to pass on to you. But even if he didn't see those things, now he's 
on the other side where he's running a business and kind of gets to see things from behind the books, which to me at least sounds like it'd be great experience to then parlay with with the investing experience where you're seeing things from the investor's side of, of a business's books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, I haven't, I haven't asked him too much about 2000 and, and the tech bubble and, and what he was doing at that point in time. I mean, um, but I remember, I remember 2008, I was 10. <laughs> so just to, just to put a timestamp there, but I was 10. And the only reason I remember it is because, I mean, and I don't remember what year my dad bought the tractor dealership, probably 2004, 2003, 2004. Um, so he's been doing it for almost almost 20 years. But um, 2008, uh, everything was tough. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember what life was like, but the only thing I remember is he started catering. Um, he loves to cook. I love to cook. I get a lot. Of, I get a lot from my dad. I love my dad. Um, but he started a catering business, uh, making barbecue and just all kinds of stuff. And that kind of um, just kind of kept us afloat during the time. And I was young at the time and I didn't, I didn't know any different. I just knew, oh, dad likes to cook. He makes good food. Now he's cooking for 500 people at big parties and stuff in my hometown. Like I didn't know, but looking back as I got older, I realized that the tractor dealership was not doing great and he needed to make money. I mean, raising kids. I have a sister, so we're raising two kids. And I mean, I just, at the time I didn't realize it. And I think that's something I always hold on to. And so I, I look to, to Twitter and building side hustles and things like that. I mean, that's just kind of what you have to do when things get tough. And so, I mean, you mentioned 2008 and him, him being part of that. And so that's just kind of what I take away from that is, is starting any kind of side hustle. And it's not a new thing. Right. But people have to, but people have to do it, and so it's awesome to see people getting ahead of the ahead of the curve and going ahead and building up passive income, um, whichever way they choose. Yeah. Uh, but for, for when things get tough. Right. What a powerful lesson. Wow. Well, let's let's talk about some dividend stocks because I know All right. dividend hero. We gotta we gotta get talking about the dividend stocks. So, in really simple terms, could you tell us? what a dividend stock is, whether it's your definition or whether it's kind of a more widely held definition in, in your community, and maybe then explain why, why any investor, why any listener might consider holding them in their portfolio, not investment advice, but just a, a general investor. Why, why would they consider holding dividend stocks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just to start off a dividend, um, so when a company um does its quarterly earnings they have hopefully they have some kind of cash left over from the quarterly profits and they have two options with those profits they can either reinvest them into the business and hope to use those reinvested profits to generate uh to grow the business and to generate higher shareholder returns or they can pay out um, a percentage of those profits in the form of dividends. Um, so a great example of a non-dividend stock would be Amazon. So any kind of, of profits um, that they have left over, um, they reinvest into business. And you think of Amazon, they're always growing into something new and always expanding and people wonder how they do it. Well, they're keeping all their cash to themselves 
and they're using that to funnel in and grow. Now, a lot of times you'll find dividend stocks in companies that aren't as focused on necessarily innovating and growing for the future. You'll find dividends. You'll find a lot of companies that are paying um, dividends in stocks. One that people love is Johnson & Johnson. Um, they sell products that everybody needs every single day. They're not reinventing the wheel per se. Um, they're selling medicine and all kinds of things in the health field. Um, and there, there's not huge amounts of innovation there per se mm-hmm. when you, when you, when you start stacking it up against some of these like tech companies. I mean, there's, and another one is Procter and Gamble selling shampoo, soaps and shampoo and, and body wash and dish detergent. And it's just stuff everybody needs. So they're generating tons and tons of cash. And they're not solely focused on breaking into new segments of markets and expanding their business, but they're just focused on the longevity um, of their business and uh, maintaining a healthy balance sheet and things like that. And so they're comfortable paying out a certain percentage of their um, their quarterly profits to shareholders. Um, so... Personally, I like to buy stocks that increase their dividend payouts every year. So they have a history of doing that. Um, There's also people that like to buy dividend stocks that pay a high high yield or a high dividend per their share price. Okay. Um, So there's some people that are solely focused on income and then rather buy a a, a stock that's thirty dollars and, and paying out uh, a good a good just people would rather buy bigger dividends and sacrifice that for lower growth. Um, but I'm kind of focused on companies that are every year they're raising their dividend, which means the business is healthy, the business is is raising cash, is growing internally, um, and I think a great advantage to that is that it's a sign of of long-term investments that are safe per se. Their their businesses are a good business model and they're not at risk of being, um, they're not at risk of being like overvalued and overstretched. And um, normally these are called value stocks. Um, And so, and so you certainly are sacrificing growth of your overall portfolio, but you're getting safety, you're getting good cash rich businesses. And a lot of times you're investing in products that people use every single day. And they really help you sleep easy at night. Um, You don't really have to worry owning a Procter & Gamble or a waste management or a 3M or Johnson & Johnson, you name a Pepsi, I mean, you name it. These are, these are companies and products that people are going to use every single day. Um, and then on the on the dividend side, people um, oftentimes reinvest their dividends. So, you know, say it's a hundred dollar stock and it, and it pays out a five dollar dividend every quarter, you know, and you have one share, and so you get five dollars, and so you reinvest it. So then all of a sudden you're at one hundred and five dollars, and then that next quarter your dividend payout is higher because you've reinvested it and you own more shares, and then that grows and the dividend grows and the share grows. The share your share your share count grows, and then hopefully you you're still contributing 
to your portfolio as well. So you're really scaling it and letting compound interest um, work in your favor. Um, and I know a lot of people say that growth stocks don't compound, but they do, but they compound their earnings inside the share price. And so you're able to scale the, the growth stock even higher. I mean, Amazon's up at 3000 you know, because they've kept all their cash and they're scaling it that way. The right. other option is they pay out their cash and you're kind of manually almost scaling it. And so you wonder how like Warren Buffett or all these guys have built crazy portfolios and they're holding like Johnson and Johnson and Coca-Cola and these boring stocks. What's because these boring stocks pay out cash and they're reinvesting that cash and letting that compound. Um, and so it's just one strategy. It's not one, it's not one size fits all. It's not going to work for everybody. And it, and it really depends on your situation and your risk tolerance and just kind of how you view the market in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's part of my portfolio and I own plenty of growth stocks. I'm pretty transparent about that. Um, but it is, it's certainly part of my investing strategy and I, uh, definitely helps me, uh, helps me handle those, uh, when the market gets a little shakier or things get uneasy, uh, it helps me handle those rough times. Right. Right. So if I could go back into your answer. Let's talk about, say, Tesla. You didn't bring up Tesla, but Tesla, in my mind, is the prototypical growth stock. Yep. Which is kind of the opposite, if you will, of a dividend stock. And, and Tesla, at this point of time, they are growing so fast that Elon Musk, for lack of a better person to highlight, Elon Musk is saying, sorry, investors, we can't afford to give you any cash right now. We are building new factories. We are expanding our supply chain we are really still trying to build this company into what we think it can become. And that money is better used in our hands, in Tesla's hands to, to grow than it's you better. And then it would be in your hands just as cash. So Tesla is not paying off any dividends right now. But now if I contrast that to say Johnson and Johnson or, or any of the stocks in your portfolio, what is a typical dividend as maybe as a percentage or as a yield that you are receiving? Is it, is it pennies per dollar? Is it, is it pennies per hundred dollars? What, what does that look like? So I try to target stocks in the two to 3% yield um, range. I find that many companies are comfortable paying out that range while still growing their dividend. If you're looking at stocks that are paying 7%, 10%, 12%, some of these high yield, you really need to look at the health of that dividend. And if the company is able to consistently generate enough cash in order to still pay out that dividend, um, because they might pay a 12% dividend one quarter, but then they cut their dividend to eight and then they cut it and then it jumps around and they're not even growing their dividend. I'd rather stay at the two to 3% range and keep that dividend growing over time. Um, And so I, um, I mean, if you're at a if you're at a three percent yield and the stock is a hundred dollars, is a three dollar dividend every year. Um, so, you know, if you own ten shares, that's thirty bucks a year, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, um, but I think any anybody who loves dividends will gladly lay out the math for you and show you how that dividend will grow over time, um, which the 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 goal for a lot of people or the ideal situation is build up a portfolio and you're able to 
get paid out cash and you're not having to sell shares. Like that is the retirement goal. As you as you get older, that is the that is the end goal. And I'm 23. I'm talking. I'm sitting here talking about dividends, which whatever. Some people agree with. Some people don't. That's fine. But like when I'm 50, it'd be pretty cool if some of my companies were paying me five thousand. Just making up a number, five thousand dollars a year just to hold their stock. And I've been holding it for 20 something years. And the dividend has grown over time. The business has grown over time. The share price has grown, grown over time. And I own 500 shares. Just make, this, this math might, might make no sense. But say I own 500 shares. Well, I don't have to sell a single share. I just keep holding on. And they're just going to keep paying me out cash. And right. instead of reinvesting those dividends, I'm just going to keep the cash. Right. And so I think a lot of retirees or you know, you know, people getting towards retirement don't want to have to start selling their shares of companies that they own. They'd rather just hold their investments and let those investments pay them out in cash. And they're not as focused on the growth of the overall portfolio as they are having the recurring income. And so if I have time on my side, I'd like to build that up because I can contribute less capital towards it now because I have time to let those investments work over time. Whereas if you're older, you need to put in a lot more money a lot quicker in order to get those dividends where I've been building them for 20 years. Right. And one thing you hit on earlier that I think was a great point is how these dividend companies, for the most part, and especially the dividend companies that you are targeting, tend to be stable companies with reliable dividends. So as you're approaching retirement or while you're in retirement, you don't have to worry too much about that, say, you mentioned $5,000 a year. That's going to be a fairly dependable number for you. If anything, it might slightly increase, but you probably don't have to worry about that number getting cut in half overnight because it's coming from a Johnson and Johnson. That's just this stable, dependable company. Whereas if you were a Tesla investor, let's say you're approaching retirement right now today in 2021, and you've got, you own a ton of shares of Tesla. Well, the last few years have been amazing for you. That's what a growth stock, that's what can happen with growth stocks. Not all, but some. But at the same time, if I was holding that much Tesla right now, I would be really worried that it might be overvalued and that the market might react in the near future and say, boy, Tesla really is overvalued and might cut the stock price in half. And all of a sudden, what I thought was a dependable retirement nest egg isn't that dependable anymore. So if I were to ask you, let's say I gave you some money today, let's say $1,000, which companies would you invest in? And again, this isn't advice for the listeners per se, not investment advice, but if I gave you Dividend Hero $1,000 today, which companies would you choose and why? That's a great question. Um, so $1,000, I'm going to put some of it in waste management. That's my go-to. Interesting. I don't even, I don't keep it on my stock watch list. I don't. I don't even know what the price is at right now. Probably about 145. That's where it's been recently. I checked from time to time, but I would put some in waste management, um, and I would put some in either Fortinet or Cloudflare. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's go one by one through those through those three companies. FYI, waste management is at uh, 146.69 right now. You know, you know your prices very well. 
Uh, talk us yeah. through. I mean, I know waste management, right? The, the garbage company, they, they have garbage trucks near me. Why do you like them as a, as a company? Yeah, absolutely. So just, you know, breaking away from the, from the, the numbers talk per se, there's, I'm not one just to rattle their, their numbers off the top sure. of my head about the, the financial health of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can just tell you from a broader investment perspective, um, the trash truck is going to come every week. It came every week during COVID. You know, it's going to come every week. That the, the trash truck's going to come. They're they're going to come get your trash. Human beings are going to create waste. There is no way around human beings generating waste and generating more waste. And um, that's just a fact. That there is no like debate about that. People are going to make waste, whether it needs to be recycled or thrown in the trash and put in landfills, there is going to be some kind of waste, especially in the consumer society that we live in. People are encouraged to buy more, buy more, buy more, which means there is more to throw away, more to throw away, more to throw away, more factories, um, more cardboard boxes, more everything. So waste management is going to come get people's trash. They also own landfills, which they rent on long-term contracts. So they essentially own real estate and there's no competition. There's, there's um, Republic service group, RSG. They're the blue trucks. Um, they're, they're another one. And there's, there's a handful of, of smaller players in the industry, but waste management um, is definitely the biggest um, waste collection service in the country. And they, uh, they own, like I said, they own landfills. It's essentially real estate and nobody's coming to, take it away from them um you're not just going to lose a, a landfill um any kind of landfills that they're not currently using waste or any any land that they own that they're not currently using waste management is also i'm not sure if a lot of people know this um they are coming up with technology to capture um greenhouse gases from the landfill and use that to power their trash trucks um, and then they're also turning their empty landfills into solar farms and using solar power to power nearby neighborhoods and things like that. I actually posted a thread about it on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll retweet it or post it again soon if you guys want to be on the lookout for that. I was on a podcast a couple months ago and somebody asked me how I feel about waste management as a solar power play uh-huh. with, uh, with President Biden coming in office. And I was like, I don't know. Like, let me, I don't know. Let me get an answer for you. And I'll, I'll post a thread about it to Twitter. And not that I was called out, but I just didn't know mm-hmm. the answer. I was like, I'll get you an answer. That's fine. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of being wrong, but um, I just didn't know about that. So I'm sure a lot of people don't know, but they're, they're finding plenty of ways to stay, to stay green. And um, there's, there's a lot more under the hood than them just picking up your trash. So I kind of like the, the innovation that the business is, is is going through and the innovation that they're taking. Um, but at the core, if you want to break it down, people are going to come get your trash every week. So I like that. great company to invest in uh, pretty good, pretty good long-term performance. And I'm super comfortable buying at pretty much any level because I know in 10 years, pe- people were still going to be making trash and someone's got to come get it. You know, I was, I always think like, what would you do if your trash truck stopped coming every week? Well, serious, serious. Think, think about it. what are you gonna do? I mean, I live in South Carolina. 
I'm kind of, I don't live near the, I kind of live out near the country a little, a little bit. I could find a landfill. I'd be all right. But you think about people in New York, what, 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 you know, wherever a big city, like what, right. what are you going to do? If, right. if, if wherever you take your trash, they stop coming. If they just said, eh, not going to get it. Yeah. It's a key part of infrastructure, isn't it? Right, absolutely. So they're essential and I'm yeah. cool investing, giving them my money. Yeah. The demand is never going to go away. The demand for their services is never going to go away. It's a part of the human condition. And if you want to argue it's not a part of the human condition, like you just said, Dividend Hero, it's certainly part of the American condition. We have a lot of stuff and we throw a lot of stuff away and that stuff goes yeah. to landfills. And and even if even if we maybe start throwing away less stuff in the future, which is a debatable argument to make, it sounds like waste management is doing some cutting edge things where at least you know they, they aren't letting their business get old and stagnant. They are staying up on current events and green energy, like you mentioned. So they're it's interesting to know that they're they're kind of being uh, forward thinking in that way. Yeah, absolutely. The other two companies you mentioned there, I heard Cloudflare, which is interesting because I'm a Cloudflare user. What what was the other company you mentioned? Fortinet. Fortinet. Okay. What what does Fortinet do? So they are a cybersecurity um, company. Gotcha. Okay. More, okay. More or less. Yep. Yep. So they they. Are they contracted by other businesses? Is it like a business to business service and they, they protect businesses from outside hacks, that kind of stuff? Or what kind of service do they, do they provide? Right. They do, well, nowadays they do all kinds of stuff. They mostly started off with like physical firewalls that you can install like on premise. Okay. Um, and they're kind of switching to, to cloud based firewalls, but they do everything from like managed email security, managed firewalls. Um, Doing all kinds of security log monitoring of all the the devices in your in your ecosystem. Um, there's honestly so much they do. So, so the comp the company I work for, I work for a cloud service provider. We are a Fortinet partner, so we okay. sell cybersecurity services backed by Fortinet. That's so, cool. I'm in the process of becoming Fortinet NSE three certified, which is Network Security Expert Level three. Um, it's only accessible to, to Fortinet partners. So I'm jumping all over the opportunity now that I'm with my new company and I am learning a ton about cybersecurity and the field. Um, and I'm, I'm learning that it, it, it is a, it is a technology play. There are no dividends, but along the same thesis, I, you know, I'm true to my roots. Cybersecurity is not going away anytime soon. Um, and, and Cloudflare is another one that that's involved in cybersecurity. They do um, they they do some domain name, um, sorry, some DNS, and um, what, what's called edge computing and a DDoS attack. I don't need to get into all the details, but um, mostly because I can't because I try. But I know some of the lingo. I know a little bit about it, but it, it, that's the whole field I'm still learning about. But either way. Those, those are those are two great companies um, engaged in, in the cybersecurity space um, and protecting the internet. And along the same theme of waste management, there is not a single company in the world that is going to spend less on cybersecurity this year. That's not that's not from a that's not from an article. Don't hold me to that. But the, the investment thesis is. 
no, especially after the, the number of high profile attacks that have happened this year, there isn't a company that is just sitting around saying, you know what, we need to cut our cybersecurity budget. We're good. Like, let's just peel back on that a little bit. Like, right. I no, see what you're they saying. are not. They are fully equipping every single staff member, every single computer, every single endpoint, every single network with the best cybersecurity possible because they understand and they've seen these ransomware attacks. We had a meat factory. We had an oil pipeline. Um, we had the U.S. government hack through, my, hack through Microsoft. Um, there is no industry that is off limits. There is no, when you think about oil and meat packing and the, I mean, obviously the government, but like, you're not just going to work in an industry that is immune from any kind of cyber attack or ransomware attack. And these ransomware attacks are huge to businesses. And many of them have financial incentives. So larger corporations are attacked, but you start thinking about small and medium sized businesses what 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 would they do if they came in one day all the computers and data were locked down and ransom people ran cyber criminals were saying hey you know pay us 60 60 million in bitcoin and we'll unlock your right. stuff right. or else we're just going to delete it and we'll move on and you can't track us and that was fun see ya and that could certainly happen and so um fortinet is a leading provider to the small and medium-sized business market. They have plenty of enterprise customers, but they do put a big emphasis on helping small and, you know, providing affordable solutions to small and medium-sized businesses and getting the little guys protected as well, because cybersecurity is not just a major corporation thing. It impacts a business of any size. I really enjoy those investment theses you laid out for us because you're really, you're zooming out to this macro economic long-term trend and saying, well, waste management isn't going to go away because humans are going to be throwing stuff away. Uh, Fortinet and Cloudflare aren't going away because the internet is only growing from here. And we are seeing cyber attacks increase in frequency over the past few years. Uh, one that I thought of when you were listing off that, that quick list is in early 2020, I think it was before really COVID hit the States. Uh, the Iranian government was tied to attacks on the U.S. power grid, trying to shut down certain uh, electrical grids around the country. Well, that would frustrate a lot of people. And, and you know, the American government is doing their best, I assume, to not let that happen. Some, and, you know, private industries are doing the same thing. But I really like how you pointed out that uh, some smaller and mid-sized companies don't really have the the know-how, the expertise, or maybe even the money to bring someone in-house and handle that. And it sounds like that's the niche that Fordnet is looking to to fit in. They'll they'll do that kind of cybersecurity for the small and mid-sized companies. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, I think if you if you really pay attention to the news, you mm -hmm. could read probably about a cybersecurity hack every single day. I don't know what the statistic is on how many happen every single day. And there's tons of small ones that happen to, to people every single day, but at least to, to companies and, and things you've heard of and industries you've heard of, if you really dug, you could probably find one every single day. Um, but it mean, a bare minimum once a month. Keep, keep up with it. Go on um, just different tech websites and start reading about that stuff. And you'll see how many companies are hit with cyber attacks and what the financial impacts of that are. And you'll be like, all right, the cybersecurity stuff, not a joke. I mean, yeah. 
you know, let me at least look into it just a little bit. Well, what do you say we uh, transition into the rapid fire questions? Cool. That cool. All right. First, we had a question come in from Twitter and I really like this one. This is from, uh, from recent guest F.I. Squirrel, who asked, uh, Dividend Hero, what do you envision your dream life to be once your dividends allow you to fully reach financial independence? What would a perfect day look like? Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I've, I've kind of been, not, not that I've been living it, but COVID kind of forced me into it a lot the past year. But I love to fish. I love to get outside. I love to, you know, I'll be on. I, mean, I think my pinned tweet right now is just is get rich and get off the grid. Mm-hmm. And I think that is my life motto. And I've learned that this past year during COVID. Um, I'm fully on the grid now. I'm doing I'm doing podcasts. <laughs> I've got a you know I've got a, a a Twitter account that's growing every single day. I'm pretty on the grid right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal is use the grid, build some wealth, and then disappear. Not from my friends and family and, and people I care about, but disconnect from social media, you know, keep up with close friends, you know, I text them and stuff, that's fine, or or have a group, whatever, but like I don't need to impress anybody in this world. You know? I've got my friends and family and people I'm close to and um and that's all that matters. And so I love to get off the grid, go fishing, go go hiking outdoors, go explore the wilderness. So ideal day for me, um, seriously, just go fishing, catch some fish, uh, bring them home, cook them up, um, maybe sit around a campfire, drink some beers. Um, I mean, that's just the kind of guy I am. I mean, I work in the, I work in the tech industry, mm-hmm. you know, I'm building a Twitter account. I love to invest, but you know, if, if, if it weren't for that, I'd be fishing all the time. I wear Crocs. I drive an F one fifty. I mean, I think I've heard you know. The, I've heard this song before. There's definitely yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah, exactly. So I've uh, definitely got a little bit of a dichotomy there between what the online presence might seem and who the real me is. But you know, in all in all honesty, just just more so spent, spending time with family um, and just getting back to my roots and things that really matter is 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 the end goal and so once financial independence is reached um just taking taking care of the people close to me and and i'm pretty simple i don't need a lot of stuff to be happy and Mm -hmm. i want to make sure the people that that uh i'm closest to and are you know are closest to me and um are are taken care of i know that my parents did a great job of raising me and i never wanted for anything more and uh i want to do the same for the people that are close to me and so I like to live a pretty simple life, but um, I want to make sure my kids and my wife and whoever else are all are all taken care of. And so that's kind of uh, the end goal for me. Excellent. Now, got to ask this follow up question. What is the primary fish to catch in South Carolina? What, what are you going for out there? So I like to fish for largemouth bass. So the, na- the neighborhood I grew up in had like four ponds in it so that's me that's what all me and my buddies did growing up was just go just meet up at the lake and go fishing and uh, i quickly started to realize what i thought middle school was stressful or when i thought high school was stressful just going fishing not checking my phone not even worry about a single thing in the world just being out there 
was just about the most peaceful thing I could think of. Um, and so I just kind of carry that, you know, to this day. But uh, yeah, largemouth bass, um, pretty uh, pretty popular sport fish. Um, grew up fishing in ponds, but have recently, over the past year and a half, my dad and I have gone fishing a lot on bigger lakes and tons of largemouth bass, but just a little bit of different style of fishing, I'll say. Um, just deeper water and different techniques mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but yeah, largemouth bass, pretty, uh, pretty popular fish, but cool. great, great to catch. Very cool. Well, this next question, I, I don't know, it, it might go back to fishing. You'll have to tell us what's the last material object or personal luxury that you've spent a hundred dollars or more on. Oh boy. A hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, what, what, do fishing, um, what do fishing rods go for these days? Uh, yeah, a rod itself, a hundred and then a reel, a hundred. I also like to buy a little bit higher quality because they last longer. Not, not even kidding. I have a fishing rod that I have fished with for probably 10 years and has used like crazy. And I just this past year replaced, I still have it. I just don't use it a ton, but I bought a new one. Um, this, this past, this past weekend, there's an there's an Adidas like employee factory store thing in uh, near me, and my company had a fifty percent off coupon for all employees uh, from like July fifteenth to thirtieth. So you go and show them the coupon, your whole order is fifty percent off. So I went this past weekend and spent two hundred dollars. I was like, oh, I could have bought one share of whatever is two hundred dollars. I could have I could have invested that two hundred dollars. Yeah. But instead I bought some shoes and some workout gear and it'll it'll pay off. But that's a good um, investment too. That's a good investment. Yeah. Too. So Yeah man. That's know, a good answer. That is a that, that is a tough question. <laughs> well maybe this one maybe this one will be easier. What's one good habit you're trying to form or potentially a bad habit that you're trying to break? Good one that I'm trying to form and have been trying to form over the past probably month or two. We're uh, working out every morning. So six o'clock in the morning, usually I'm at the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was a college student when COVID hit and did not, I quickly lost access to my gym. And for a little while, made the best of it. I was like, all right, you know, this is time to do some cardio. This is time to just, you know, do what I can. Um, and was not as good of a workout routine as I had had during when I was at college. And mm-hmm. so the past year has been kind of, has been kind of gymless per se. Moved into a new apartment complex and they have a gym and it's actually really nice. But for a while, it was only open during during office hours, which of course I was at work. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. <laughs> and so they had it that way for a while, and of course it was you know corporate policy or whatever. It wasn't their decision. I get that, but every time I could, I gave them a little bit of pushback. Was like, hey, seems like pretty safe if I could just go in there at six in the morning and work out. You'd never know I was there, but. They had it locked and whatever. It was fine. I respected the rules. 
Um, but now that it's fully open, I, I kind of spent a year off from lifting like I used to and things like that. And so really trying to get back into habit. And I am finding that, man, when I work out at six in the morning, it sucks. But I get back and I shower and I eat breakfast and I get to work. And I feel like I have accomplished, like, I've ha- I feel like I'm just halfway through my day. Like, I'm up. Like, my brain is fully functioning. I'm ready to go. I- I'm ready for whatever. And other people are just dragging into work. You can tell they just roll out of bed, like, exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just going to take them an hour to even get anything done. And, like, I'm good to go. I'm ready. Like, nice. what's happening? Like, you know, and I've always been a morning person, but, like, I just feel so good after working out in the morning and it's such a good habit. And there are some mornings where I'm in bed and I'm like, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up. And there's some mornings where I force myself and like, you're getting up and I've never regretted it. And there's some mornings where I go back to sleep and I sometimes regret it because I get to work and I feel sluggish. And I'm like, I slept in. Why do I feel sluggish? What the heck, man? I'm like, okay, that working out thing. Yeah. That somehow that gives me more energy. Like, just crazy so um yeah and i mean i feel like i'm going to talk about my dad this whole podcast but (laughs) the last the last year he's lost 150 pounds um pretty incredible stuff absolutely incredible um it's you know his good habits have helped me lose some weight i'm a little bit of a bigger guy um but yeah he's his just seeing him better his life um has definitely been a big inspiration for me and um he just kind of eats just real food everyone wants some kind of answer and he's just like eat food like no don't i mean if your food has like an ingredient label it's probably not healthy or not not unhealthy but you know like how do you lose weight just eat real food eat meat and vegetables and nuts and whatever else and mm-hmm. if it's got a million it's just got a million ingredients in it chances are it's not healthy for you if you or if you've got to check the ingredients label right so i That's, mean he uh... you know he kind of went kind of went keto and then just kind of switched just to low carb and then you know obviously it wasn't perfect and obviously you know i, I got to hear about it for for a long time but it really paid off and he looks great and it's been a big inspiration for me and um so it's just kind of, all right, I've seen him, you know, fluctuate with his weight his whole life and make excuses and things like that. And this past year, I felt like I've kind of made excuses of, well, I mean, I probably could have been running or something when I didn't have access to a gym. Like I probably definitely, I'm not probably, I definitely could have worked out more than I did. So now I have access to a gym. Excellent. And there's no, and there's no excuses. Yeah. Besides. I'm tired. I've worked out six days this week and I'm tired. <laughs> that is awesome. Sometimes, sometimes that'll get me, but besides that, it's just a good habit. I'm trying to get back into working out. Um, and I guess the biggest takeaway from that is the mental, uh, the mental edge and the mental side of it that I'm getting back that I think I forgot about working out. Mm-hmm. Got to get those endorphins. They're huge. They're huge. It's huge. Um, Makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, next question. I like this one and I'm interested to hear as an investor, what your answer is. What's your favorite financial tool or app or service that you use and, and why do you like it? So, you know, I'm not much of a, of a stock trader and a lot of the financial 
services out there are around stock trading and making mm-hmm. good profits in a short period of time, which I respect the heck out of anybody that can do that. Most people cannot do it consistently, but when mm-hmm. you know, if you know people that people that do it and can control themselves and make some nice little short term trades and then roll that over into long term investments, more power to you. That's awesome. I've tried to do it. It's worked. Sometimes it's not worked. Sometimes I've probably broken even. I'll take that as a win. Um, never, I've never day traded, but just over a short period of time, like, oh, the stock is earnings coming up. Let me buy it before earnings. Right. Um, so I don't do a ton of short-term trading, which a lot of those services provide. So I don't want to discount any kind of, uh, I know, like trading view or, uh, there, there's 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 a bunch of really good ones out there uh, that that a lot of people that I follow like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this you know not taken away from any of those, but it just doesn't really fit what I do. Um, I read I read Market Watch a lot. Yeah. Which some people read, some people don't. Um, the biggest thing I get from that is exposure to new companies. So I really like when there's articles about, um, you know, 10 cybersecurity stocks, they're going to be hot this year. I don't care what their opinion on the stock is. That doesn't matter to me. I stroll through and I'm like, oh, are there companies I haven't heard of before? Let me put them on my watch list and then let me go back and do my own research. And then when I do my own research, you know, articles from Yahoo Finance or Seeking Alpha or you know, Bloomberg or whatever come up and then I do my research that way. Um, but I'll say, my, yeah, I'll say my favorite I go to all the time is Market Watch. Um, they'll have the, the markets in, in the top and I have that mm-hmm. open on my work computer and then I can look at my favorite stocks and sometimes we'll have a little section of like stocks in the same industry or, you know, recommended stocks that are, that are, that are similar to it. Um, and so I, I find that a good way to learn about different stocks that I might not know about or stocks in the same industry that I hadn't paid too much attention to. Um, and then I also use it to read articles about current companies that I already own. So like I read, you know, I don't think that research stops once you buy a stock. My conviction on waste management isn't going to change based on someone else's opinion, but I still value their opinion or or a, a factual article about waste management, not necessarily opinion pieces, but whether I read an article, it's not just going to all of a sudden change my investment thesis, but it's, it can at least open my ears and eyes to new new things about the company or different perspectives on the company. And I respect things that people have to say, and if they go out of the way to write an article about it. I'll at least read it and I don't have to agree with it, but um, I do like reading articles with an open mind. Um, And so I don't, I don't go on there just to find stocks and buy whatever they say is going to, going to go up next, but just kind of broadens my horizon. And then I do further research from there. Um, And I'll say the best place for research. And a lot of people don't talk about this, but just, just go to the company's website most big companies have an investors tab on the website. A lot of times you've got to scroll to the bottom and they'll be like, you know, contact us and our address and this, that, and the other. And there's usually a little link that says investors or sometimes it'll be at the top. 
Um, it'll say investors. Click on that. They'll give you all kinds of stuff. They're going to tell you historical performance. They're going to tell you about the dividend. They're going to tell you about your latest earnings report. There's going to be a section about news articles, you know, whenever that stock or that company was in the news. Um, so that if you want to learn about one specific company, a lot of times there's no better place to go unless you want opinions then you just go to the company's website and see the kind of information they're putting out to investors because they want you to buy stock in their company. Right. You know, it, 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 it's a sales, not a sales pitch, but like they're, they're going to put forth great information and great content because they want you to go and be like, Oh, this company looks great. You invest in, let me give them some more money. So they're going to, they're going to do a good job for that section. And I, I have found that to be true. There's a lot of companies. I'll just check their investment uh, tab on the yeah. website. And, and, and it's a great resource. Interesting. Interesting. And I, I really liked what you said when you were talking about Market Watch, how sometimes you'll read them knowing full well that the opinions they put forward really aren't going to change your mind too much. But you are open minded enough to kind of consider their ideas and, and maybe it pushes you a little bit one way or another, just a tiny bit. And uh, what you described there is is something called Bayesian analysis. Not sure if, if you're familiar with it. It's not really an investing or stock term. It's more of a math and puzzle solving term that basically says you come into a certain uh, problem or if you're trying to solve a puzzle, you have what's called a prior, which is what you think the result is. But as you learn new information, you, you absorb that information in a certain way. Usually there's some math involved. And that new information percolates its way through and slowly starts to shift your prior in a, in a certain direction. You know, a, prototype, a typical example might be like playing Battleship, as funny as that is. You think you might know where the ships are on the map. And as your guesses come through, if you have a right guess, whoa, all of a sudden you kind of know where the ship is. And if you have a wrong guess, you say, okay, maybe it's not in that segment. Maybe I'll go somewhere over here. Similarly with investing, you have your opinions on certain companies, Dividend Hero, but a certain news story, it might make you think, oh, maybe I should search that a little bit more and you keep open-minded and it pushes you in that direction. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even know there was a, a theory behind that, to be honest. Yeah. That's just kind of my mindset going into it. And yep. I'm sure it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it just plays off of human emotions. And I think that really speaks to the emotional side of investing and the emotional side of doing research and finding new stocks to buy in that you can get caught up so much into what other people say and just all the emotions behind it that you mm -hmm. kind of miss a lot of a lot of details and, and a lot of uh, perspectives and opinions. You can just get hung up on one thing or the other and not uh, keep an open mind. Right, right. Well, I got one more question for you, and this is awesome. a fun one. Cool. If, if I gave you a billboard to share any message with the world, what message would you put on that billboard? What would you say? I would say my message would be three words. Yeah, three words. It would be learn from failure. I think that is probably one of the bigger things I learned at my time in college. And, and I'm 23, so I'm pretty fresh out of college. Just graduated just over a year ago. Um, and my, my four years in college were met with plenty of adversity and plenty of failure. Um, but also plenty of people to guide me through um, and help me navigate, um, whether it be the social side of things or the classwork side of things or, or managing anxiety or, or test, uh, test anxiety or just stress in general. Um, 
And so I, I had a lot of failures along my way. And I eventually, what turned the corner for me was, was, was the mindset of learning through failure. And that if you want to learn and you want to learn efficiently and you want to learn quickly, unfortunately, you have to fail. And it's tough because there's no way around it. And the quicker people realize it and quit avoiding failure, the more they'll realize that the more that they fail, the more that they're going to learn. And I think that's one, one thing I love about working in sales is Mm -hmm. it's failure every single day. It's failure with every phone call. It's failure with prospects. It's failure with potential deals. And it's messing up and being like, all right, what could I have learned from this? What can I do better next time? What can I take away from this conversation that's going to help me in future conversations? And how can I learn and grow from this failure? And instead of seeing failure as a negative thing, I mean, it's really only failure if you quit and you stop learning and stop trying to grow. That's the only way it's failure. But so many people think that they've messed up and they have failed and that it's just a really big deal and things are just going to change forever. And the reality is that through failure, through failure, you're going to learn and grow from it and become better because of it. And so I think just especially nowadays, there's so many more people had that mindset of failure is not something I need to be afraid of. And failure is something I need to embrace, um, and and even and even just just go at, just almost seek out failure, because you're going to learn a lot quicker that way. Uh, my first job out of college, I worked for State Farm Insurance. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was a job. It didn't pay great. I didn't make any sales. I didn't. I did it for eight months or. I was an intern and I started full time. So I, I did it for about seven or eight months total. Um, I failed. I wasn't happy. It wasn't a good fit for me. And mm-hmm. I, I learned that over time. But I don't look at it as a failure. There's a ton of skills, a ton of life experience I learned from that. Um, and I've applied a lot of that into my new role. Um, the company I'm at now, I've been there about eight months. Um, I recently got salesman of the quarter. Um, I got a bonus, I got a trophy, I got company recognition. That was awesome. I've not even been there a year and I got sales in the quarter. Um, certainly none of that has gone to my head. I'm still humble as ever. You'd never know it. I have a hard time bragging on myself, but that is just, that's just the truth that I won that award, but it is just the truth that a lot of my failures that I took with me from my previous job and previous experiences, I pour in and apply that to my new role and I've seen a ton of growth there. And so I think people can make a lot of that message and people can apply that message to so many different aspects of their life and people can apply that message to, um, you know, their jobs, their home life, things they've been through in the past, things they're struggling with and things they're working towards accomplishing and they need to look at failure a little bit differently um, than they have been. Learn from failure and eventually the success will come. Dividend Hero, I can't thank you enough for sharing your ideas with us today on the Best Interest Podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, This has been great. It's been been some awesome conversation. Um, 
and I can't wait to see what what uh what all you have in store uh for the future. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Another huge shout out to Dividend Hero. Thank you, man, for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast today. And I'm actually sorry, Dividend Hero. I forgot to ask you live how people can reach out to you, but I think I know the answer. It's Twitter. So go look up at Hero Dividend. Yes, his name is Dividend Hero, but his handle is Hero Dividend. I hope you guys give him a follow. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter where my handle is bestinterest underscore jc. If you find this content valuable and you want to give back, there are three easy free options for you. Option one, simply subscribe to this podcast, get new episodes in your feed every week. Options two and three, leave a rating, leave a review of the Best Interest Podcast. Tell me what you think. I love hearing back from you guys. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to episode 30 of the Best Interest Podcast.